Welcome to episode 23 of the Daniel Yoris Podcast with today's guest, Dr. Jackie Kudis. Let's go. Dr. Jackie Kudis is a naturopathic doctor here in Toronto. Uh, I say here in Toronto, but I'm sitting here in Florida currently. But anyways, she's a naturopathic doctor in Toronto. Jackie and I both did our undergraduate degrees in kinesiology at York University, where we took a couple courses together, I think, in fourth year and became friends. And, you know, in fourth year university, everybody's kind of deciding what's next, uh, graduate school or getting into a job or what whatnot. And, you know, Jackie and I were no different. I still remember the conversations that we both had. And I remember Jackie kind of discovering and then growing excitement for deciding to go into naturopathic medicine. And so it's so great now, these years later, that she's started practicing to see that that excitement carried through and that she's really taken it and run with it and very happy doing what she loves. She treats out of several clinics in Toronto, which I'll link all of them in the show notes here if you are looking for treatment or anything of the sort. She treats people with all types of varying health conditions, all ages, all walks of life. So if there's anything that you're struggling with, Daki can definitely help you out. And if you're wondering what that might possibly be as a naturopathic doctor, we spent a fair bit of time in the episode talking about what exactly a naturopath is, what do they do, how do they treat patients, how are they trained in school. And I think that's a very important topic because unfortunately not many of us or probably not enough of us really know what naturopaths do. And maybe you've only heard the stereotypes and the nonsense, but it's just simply not true. So Jackie did a great job of kind of outlining how that all works and how evidence-based they are and mixing all of the ancient practices that have worked for hundreds and thousands of years because it's all important. Another couple things that we spoke about in the episode is how naturopaths work congruently with MDs to give the best patient care. We spoke a lot about nutrition and the impact that specifically nutrition has on your health and all different aspects of one's health. The best practices to apply nutrition to your life, whether it's an intervention for a health condition or just day-to-day kind of your maintenance level. We busted a couple myths, especially spent a little bit of time on the 12,000 or sorry, 1200 calories per day myth, which is crazy and not sure how that came to be, but something that needs to be debunked. And we did a good job of that. Jackie spoke a little bit about supplements and how and when they can be used, but also that supplements don't replace your entire life. You need to still do all the healthy things and the supplements just help to supplement that as the name suggests. She also recommended a couple of basic supplements that probably everyone should think about taking obviously check with your doctor blah 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 but um just some things that you know everyone should consider taking most people can probably benefit from as well as she spoke about some specific supplements for specific conditions but again check with your doctor before just taking stuff for for the first time it was a wonderful and wide-ranging conversation just like the world of naturopathic medicine is I personally learned a lot and really enjoyed catching up and just talking to with Jackie and learning from her and I'm sure you will too so here it is, my conversation with Dr. Jackie Kudis. Dr. Jackie, thanks for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. Feels good to say that I know that you're too humble to make me call you doctor, but I think you deserve <laughs> it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's awesome. Um, why don't you go ahead real quick and just introduce yourself, tell people who you are, where, what you do and all that. Yep. So I'm Jackie. I am a licensed naturopathic doctor in Ontario. Um, I'm seeing patients primarily virtually right now across Ontario and also uh, in person in the downtown core. Um, I did my undergraduate degree in kinesiology with Daniel, and uh, that was at York University, and then went on to become a, a registered kinesiologist and sports nutritionist while I was going through my four-year degree for naturopathic medicine, and then went on to become a naturopathic doctor, and that's where I'm at now. Amazing. And you graduated, it was last year? Yes. Yeah, I graduated in May 2020. So you've been practicing for uh, for a year now. How's that been so far, just getting going amidst the pandemic, like of all things, to be starting something brand new, big career jump? Yeah, there were a lot of delays for my year. So we have our licensing exams. You don't get to practice kind of right away after graduating. So things got pushed a few times. But since getting my license, completing all the exams and everything you need kind of prior to practicing, um, it's been great. I love being in practice. It's so refreshing and seeing patients and new cases every day. I love the dynamic kind of interplay of that. Are you treating in primarily a naturopathic clinic or is it a multidisciplinary clinic? 
Yeah, uh, both of the clinics I'm in are multidisciplinary. So there's chiropractors, there's registered massage therapists, physiotherapists, athletic therapists, a little bit of everything. Um, They're primarily kind of a physiotherapy clinic. One's a sports med and wellness clinic. And then one has uh, dentists and just kind of everything in it as well. And, And are you the only naturopath in those clinics as well? Yeah, there's uh, the two I'm the only naturopath. So there's kind of internal referrals between um, all the professions so that the patient gets the most integrative kind of care and it's streamlined and targeted to each concern. And then the one, there's a, another one that I'm starting at in a couple of weeks and there's one other ND there. Nice. It seems it seems like that's the way that all clinics are going and, and maybe should go is just having this integrated interdisciplinary healthcare team because, you know, we can't, we know so much about science and about medicine and the human body, like no one person or practitioner or whatever school you come from can know everything. So mm-hmm. we need, you know, we need to work together to be able to solve all the problems that, you know, a patient might be able to present. Yeah, Absolutely. I want to get into a little bit of how you got into this and kind of your story going back, you know, back in time a little bit and how you came to be a naturopathic doctor. Because I remember in fourth year, you know, we had some conversations about where where we were both headed and what was happening. We kind of had some decisions to make and whatnot. So I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. So you play basketball at York University. Yes, I played basketball uh, in my four years there on the women's basketball team. Um, I loved that and enjoyed that. Um, for getting into naturopathic medicine and this kind of route, I originally wanted to go into dentistry and that was kind of what I thought I wanted to do ever since high school and why I started off in kinesiology. Um, but in my fourth year, in one of the classes, they were talking about naturopathic medicine, one of the professors. And then I went home and kind of dug a little deeper in like what that field looks like. What does that mean? I didn't really know much about naturopathic medicine at that time. And a roommate of mine and I were just researching it and we were getting so excited. It just seemed like the perfect fit. It kind of has that holistic approach to care. It hit on kind of everything that I see fits into my personal life and how I could help patients. Cause that was really my ultimate goal is I wanted to help people and I didn't know how And at first I thought it would be dentistry with the hands-on kind of aspect of it. I really liked, but it seemed like this was a better fit. And all of my prerequisite courses through kinesiology really set me up to kind of start off with naturopathic medicine and the application process was easy because of that. Yeah. It's funny how, you know, we have this idea in our head from when we're young, you want to do something and like dentistry is like obviously a fantastic profession and all that stuff. And it's like something that people know it's very uh, clear cut what you do and the steps to get there and all that stuff. And so it's almost like, and, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you kind of made that decision in high school, whatever, and then you just never really thought about it again. And then when it was time mm-hmm. to like actually, you know, punch the ticket, cause you, you applied to dentistry school. I remember, remember. Yeah, then, I did my DAT. So I did the admission tests that you have to do and I started applying and then I was like, Oh no, I think this is a better fit. And we had our business course together in fourth year as well. And seeing the business side of things, it was kind of like uh, dentistry was one dimensional in that aspect. It's there's a certain way you do it. And this is what you kind of have to follow. Whereas naturopathic medicine, it was kind of like I could streamline it how I wanted it. I could do virtual care. I could open up my own practice doing a number of different aspects of that business side as well. Yeah, it gives you a little bit more flexibility. It's almost like dentistry is obviously private. It's not OHIP funded for anyone not in Canada or Ontario. Like, you know, most of our healthcare is government funded, you know, funded through our taxes, but whatever. <laughs> Naturopath is not one of those things. Dentistry is not one of those things, but naturopathic medicine, you you have a little bit more flexibility to to do different things in your practice mm-hmm. uh, per the way you treat and per the types of patients that you might be seeing, correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's sometimes where you get a bit of drop off from the understanding from people of what do naturopathics do or naturopaths do because each practice is varying so much. Our core fundamentals are the same, but how you approach care or what type of patients you see can vary. Right. And I think that's kind of, it's probably like the blessing and curse of that type Mm -hmm. of medicine, right? Because you have so much flexibility to put, you know, Jackie's touch on on your care, but, Mm -hmm. you know, Jackie's naturopathic care is different than, you know, 
Joe Smith's naturopathic care. And so, you know, maybe Joe Smith sucks. And and then the person who who went to see him has this bad view of naturopaths or Joe Smith says some crazy stuff. And then people say, oh, all naturopaths say that stuff. And the same is like really for chiropractors, which I had, you know, my own experience with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's up to the, the practitioner, the individual to like say, hey, no, this is what we're doing. We have the evidence-based care and all of the holistic and, and ancient stuff that, that we have. And it works. And this is why it works. And this is how it helps you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Did you have a positive experience with a chiropractor or what was your experience? Uh, well, it was just in school, really. So, oh, okay. so it's like when I went to school um, maybe we don't have to spend too much, too much time on it, but, but there was a lot of like, uh, division that I could Mm -hmm. tell within the chiropractic profession. There's like the old school people who just crack for everything. And then the new school, like super evidence-based, but like evidence-based to a fault where it's like, oh, if we don't have a paper that says that this thing works, then we're not going to do it. And it's like, "Mm, well, sometimes you need to use your, you know, human instinct a little bit if it's safe and all that stuff and it's, and it's helping just mm-hmm. because there's not a piece of paper that says it works doesn't mean it doesn't work. It's been working for thousands of years. We can kind of integrate these things, right? And so, yeah, so that absolutely. was among many things. That was part of the reason why, why I left and didn't continue to pursue that. But mm-hmm. I think the same things are probably true in, in naturopathic medicine and schooling. Yeah, it's the exact same. So you have the evidence-based practitioners, but I think understanding that is that doesn't mean you can discredit something that, again, doesn't have a good research study backing it when it's worked for centuries, then it works. So it's kind of, yeah, definitely that balanced interplay between the two. Yeah, it's 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 difficult. And I knew that in chiropractic school, they're trying really hard to push for chiro to be accepted into the like the medical community. And so some of the way like our schooling was was conducted and, and some of the thoughts and some of the things that we weren't taught and whatever were all surrounded around getting chiropractic accepted by MDs, by regular mm-hmm. doctors. And and that just kind of like, just kind of rubbed me the wrong way for, for a lot of reasons. It's one of, one of many things, but, but I, I'm, is the naturopathic profession like that? Are they trying really hard to get accepted by, by OHIP and kind of conventional medicine as well? Yeah, I think that's the overreaching kind of goal between the two professions. And I think they're very similar for that. Um, and it, it can be difficult because each profession has their strengths and has their weaknesses. And it's all about integrative care. And it would be best being in Ontario for things to all be covered by OHIP. But getting to that point is going to take a long time. So still just treating patients with the best care in the meantime is kind of the most important thing to me. Yeah, totally agree. And it, it, it's unfortunate that kind of the financial aspect in terms of like publicly funded versus privately funded gets in the way of this because at the end of the day, like we're taking care of people, we're taking care of humans. Wherever the money comes from, it doesn't change whether the person gets better or not, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a unfortunate thing. It'll get solved eventually. It'll get worked out and continue to evolve as, as things go along. But in the meantime, uh, you know, it's up to each practitioner to kind of make it make it work for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. How did your views of naturopathic medicine change throughout school? So when you were kind of researching it before school, you had, you know, whatever ideas that you had and sounds like all positive and all things that you were excited about for sure. But how did it change through your schooling? Oh, wow. There was a lot that changed because, again, I didn't know that much about the profession and the detail that went into everything prior to going into school. So I loved the flexibility business aspect that I kind of mentioned. And I knew I was treating patients. I knew that there was going to be some nutrition stuff, a little bit about supplements. And that's kind of the gist of what I thought. And then I got into school and it was far more intensive than I thought it would be. The course load was insane. Um, I'm, I'm fine with that environment and I loved that, but I just didn't know that going into it. Um, it started very fundamentally. So with the anatomy, uh, physiology stuff, like microbiology, all your general sciences, and then it started to streamline and you would have, um, nutrition courses, the hands-on acupuncture. I didn't realize that the first time you would be practicing acupuncture, you would be doing it on your colleague sitting next to you and then they would get up and needle you back or for blood draws, we would be practicing on one another. 
And they don't really put that in the pamphlets, but I guess it makes sense. Who are you going to be experimenting on for the first few times? Right. But it was great. There was more evidence-based research backing things, which I appreciated because I do love research. But then it did, you would have the professors that would have that balance of that ancient kind of practices. We had our traditional Chinese medicine courses, and that was really the root of our acupuncture courses coming from that Eastern medicine practice versus Western. So that was interesting. But then you would have some professors that were very much so more on the evidence-based Western practices. And that would be more of our diagnostic uh, classes. We had radiology and pharmacology we study. So I think a lot of people don't realize that we also learn pharmacology and have to do a pharmacology prescribing exam because we're seeing patients who are on medications. So it's kind of like we have to understand how the medications are working. And there are a number of interactions between medications and supplements. So making sure that they're not kind of overdoing it in one pathway, specifically brain chemistry or blood pressure ones are ones that you see a lot of interaction. So just making sure they're within their safe range and doses and timing for stuff like that, I found really great and interesting. Yeah, I think it's it's underappreciated the level of education that naturopaths go through because people just think that you know the the, the stereotype is woo woo stuff, and it's like it's mm-hmm. it's totally not that. And if you're seeing a re- real person, people are taking blood pressure medication and cholesterol medication and diabetes medication and all of this stuff. And yeah. now you're going to tr- try and work with that. You're not ever going to say, okay, just forget all that, throw all that stuff in the garbage. Like that would be totally crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, So you need to be able to understand how these things all work together in the context of like a real person's life. And I think that's the the challenge and the beauty of it as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because you'll have someone coming in with, say, anxiety or depression, and they're already taking um, medication that work on that pathway. And we would never say you have to go off your medication. We can't change the dose of a medication or the medication at all because we didn't prescribe it but we're working with it because they're going to continue to be taking that. So it's understanding the integration between the two. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, how, how do you deal with the mental health? I kind of wanted to get into this a little bit later, but since we're here, let's, let's go into it. How is, what are some things that you as a naturopathic doctor do to help with uh, any mental health issues? Yeah. So mental health is such a broad category Um, But there's a number of things that we can do. So fundamentally, I always like to start at nutrition. So what you put in your body really affects your mood, your energy levels. So you might have like peaks and valleys of energy because you're eating primarily sugar-rich foods and streamlining your simple carbs and complex carb ratio, just getting everything balanced. And then there's evidence to support certain medication or and certain supplements to help with those disorders. So depending on it, there may ha- be um, more of a dopamine um, dysregulation or serotonin they need balance. So you can work on supplementing t- specifically to those concerns. So there's kind of like GABA is very common, you know, around exams there are chewable GABA tablets that you would see everyone kind of popping before a big exam just to help everyone relax a little bit more. Um, Fish oils are huge for more of the ADHD um, mental issues there. Um, The ketogenic diet's big for ADHD, but it's not great for everyone. So that's where the nutrition kind of, it's just so different for everyone and really seeing like what the patient's concerns are is kind of how I approach it. And usually with severe kind of mental health concerns, they are on seven medications that you have to work around. So for those, once they've found a good balance of their medication, I can also look at nutrient depletion. So certain medications um, limit the absorption of other micronutrients and minerals. So seeing what ones might be kind of down and testing them for them to get things balanced back the way they should be really supports both the medication and then their mental health and mood from that standpoint. 
Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And and again, just speaks to all the integration and the the depth of knowledge that you have to have. You you mentioned the ketogenic diet, which is probably something that most people uh, listening will have heard of or have seen it online as sort of a buzzword or you know the new crazy diet, lose X pounds, you know whatever. But mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of get your opinions on the difference between nutritional interventions and then just general nutrition strategies. So what would be the, how would you define those things and how would you sort of differ between those things? Yeah. So I get a lot of patients who are on the kind of yo-yo diet, strict diets that are like the keto um, and not balancing things appropriate to them. So there's a lot of the N equals one. So they hear this diet worked for someone else and then they implement it a hundred percent of the time and they may not see the same benefits, but it's everything needs to be streamlined to each person and everyone is vastly different, have different food sensitivities. So it's more so I look at things as a lifestyle approach is how can you fit this into your everyday and have balance going a hundred percent all the time on your diet and making it very restrictive doesn't work. It doesn't last. Um, life gets in the way of everything. Eating and being social is such a big part of our world and day to day for people that having them on strict, strict restrictions that like you can't sustain that. And then they crash and then they feel like they've failed their diet that was impossible to maintain long term in the first place. So I feel like I kind of approach things from what foods do people like? What don't they like? And I work around with educating on how to balance their plate for them, for their carbs, their proteins, their nutritional needs, and then educating them how to do that day to day so that they can maintain it instead of just saying you need to be on a strict keto diet or low fat for someone. It's just so different. Um, And then there's also, you can do food sensitivity tests and various tests. So if someone's on a vegan diet, they're typically going to be lower in say a B12 vitamin and need that supplementation. So that's more of their lifestyle choice typically, and they're not as willing to shift. So then I'm just trying to support them with that. So the supplementation comes in when they're not going to change kind of their dietary needs. And that's fine. I'm not looking to change someone's morals because they need more B12, like save the animals, just <laughs> supplement. <laughs> you mean, you mean supplements don't replace a healthy diet? That's not no, what they do? No, weird. Wow, that's <laughs> You can't have McDonald's and 20 supplements and be set. <laughs> <laughs> what a concept. That's crazy. Um, what, what kind of people then would you, or what types of scenarios, conditions, et cetera, would you, uh, typically recommend a more strict period of a specific diet. So for example, just keto, someone has X condition. Okay. I would like you to do, you know, strict ketogenic diet for the next six weeks and then, and then transition to something uh, more sustainable just to sort of maybe offset some type of condition or something that they have going on because, but then also letting them know that it's not the forever thing. We just need to do this to take care of this symptom or whatever it is, and then Mm -hmm. move on. What what kind of person would would be in line for that? Keto is really great for someone, for example, with epilepsy. Um, The high fat really support brain health and cognitive function. So someone who's looking for more of a brain health standpoint, a keto diet um, may benefit them, but also just balancing your plate with healthy, good fats long-term would act similarly for them. So getting a lot of avocados, um, supplementing your fish oils, stuff like that would help balance it long-term and allow them to have that flexibility in their everyday life. So that's where the supplements kind of come into play where you don't have to be on as strict of the diet all the time, but fine tuning it. So you're not supplementing everything. It's just kind of where the need is specific to you. So if it is that mental health aspect, but they don't like fish, their fish oil to rebalance it um, is kind of where I see fit. I'll do nutrition plans for anxiety, depression, stress, and that's just the healthy fats. So just incorporating them and having a balanced plate 
it's pretty simple and to do. And people look at the menu that I put together for them and they're like, oh, it's not that restrictive. I felt like I still <laughs> had lots of options. And I'm like, of course, there's amazing foods out there. Yeah. It's just kind of working and balancing them together. Yeah. And it's it's not anybody's fault if if you don't know, you don't know. Right. Oh, no, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's where people like you come in to say like, Hey, you can live your life. You don't have to eat, you know, plain chicken breast and plain broccoli forever just to be healthy. Like that's not, that's not a way to do it. And I think that in terms of like what you said about the food having just an impact on our life and our social life, which also has of course, some big impact on our mental health. Mm-hmm. I think in Toronto anyways, coming out of the lockdown, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to go out to restaurants and meet friends and family. And so there's going to be a lot of social gatherings, which end up always surrounding around food. Mm-hmm. At the same time, people have put on a lot of weight over the past, you know, whatever lockdowns, however long it's been now and all that stuff. And I think I'm anticipating many people having a little bit of a little bit of trouble kind of marrying these things where they're trying to like lose weight and get that summer body and get off the COVID weight, but also want to be able to go out and enjoy themselves. What do yeah. you What do you think about that? Yeah, I've seen a lot of patients kind of with the times changing, I've seen a lot more mental health, anxiety, depression. And now coming out of COVID, I've seen a lot of patients looking for that weight loss aspect to things. And it's tough because society and in the past, people have thought that caloric restrictive diet is how you lose weight. But I'm seeing people who are consuming 1200 calories a day and you can't restrict it that much for a long period of time because then you're putting your body into almost a starvation state and they start it starts sequestering things and holding on to it your body has to be relaxed that's the parasympathetic nervous system the rest and digest it has to feel safe so that it can shed that weight and also consume the food knowing that more is coming and not feeling like it needs to hold on to everything. So I think the biggest thing with that is still getting your three meals in a day. Even if you know you're going out for dinner and having a big meal later, don't skip meals and then have your massive meal. You can still have smaller meals throughout the day and try to kind of portion control a little bit when we're out because typically the serving size when you're out to a restaurant is bigger. So just being mindful of that. But Don't do the whole starvation to kind of a massive meal and enjoy when you go out and see others and that social aspect, that's life. So I like to look at things as the 80-20 rule. It's kind of like eat until you're 80% full and not when you're completely stuffed. And then the other aspect of the 80-20 rule I like to implement is if you're making mindful, healthy choices 80% of the time. And that weekend kind of time frame is your 20% to enjoy. That's perfect. That's balanced. So enjoy, indulge a little bit. That way you don't have the stress surrounding food. But Monday morning comes back, make your healthy choices again. Go to the gym, exercise. It's okay. So enjoy, but also balance things out. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And I think in my experience, a lot of people have trouble with allowing themselves to have that indulgence. And so because they think that they that they can't have it when they do have it by accident or you know their willpower gave out at dinner and so they just had it, then they feel bad about it and they feel like they messed up. Whereas I think that in if you or if one allows themselves to say like okay, I'm going to eat healthy or or whatever and then I'm going to have you know a pizza or I'm going to have that dessert. Then because you already allowed yourself to have it, you don't feel as guilty on the inside about doing so. And then it makes it much easier to get back on the horse Monday morning because it was in your plan to have that cheat meal or, mm-hmm. or dessert or whatever, whatever it was. And I think that that is a, is a really powerful kind of uh, men- mental shift in terms, of our, in terms of our diet for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So it comes back to that rest and digest, enjoy, relax, take it easy and have that piece of chocolate cake or whatever. But yeah, not feeling like you're a failure Monday morning for enjoying your weekend and just get back into things. So that's definitely the hard thing that you touched on is getting back into it and being okay with now you're exercising and eating healthy again and then enjoy the weekend and kind of go through. Yeah, like like almost everything 
in life, uh, you know, the, the magic lies somewhere in the balance. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you you mentioned uh, the 1200 calories, which has become like a thing. And I don't know where that number even came from. First of all, it's too low for almost anyone. But second of all, I don't know how it, how anyone could even say that that's appropriate for everybody because obviously it's de- like it's dependent on your size and your activity level and all this stuff. Like, do you have any idea where this came from? I don't know where it came from, but I've seen a lot of issues with it. So again, you touched on everyone is different. Your resting metabolic rate is different. Your size is different. The exercise expenditure that you put out each day is completely different. And I've had patients coming in on this 1200 calorie diet for months and they're complaining of low energy, um, low mood. They don't have any motivation to exercise and they've essentially put themselves into a state of starvation and they don't know why the pounds aren't coming off. And it's especially important for females to be getting enough calories. And I feel like I don't want to say it's just females who are doing this because men definitely experience this as well. But for their female reproductive hormones to be working, you need to be getting enough nutrients. So when they're looking to optimize fertility and stuff like that and rebalancing their hormones, your body, that is something that it loses when it's not getting enough food and nutrients because that's not a priority. Staying alive and surviving is. So it's really important for females, males, everyone. If you want your energy, your mood, you have to be eating enough and good food is so yeah. important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good, good, healthy food. Do yeah. you, and I would imagine also most people come to you after, after a while of doing this and then mm-hmm. they stop experiencing results because if someone started eating 1200 calories, like almost if you were truly actually eating 1200 calories, not what one thinks is 1200 calories, but if you were doing that, you would lose weight. It's almost guaranteed that's going to happen in the short term and it will be very, very rapid because it's a huge deficit, mm-hmm. but then it's going to slow down as your body adjusts, as your metabolism, like, you know, dials it down so that you can continue to live and mm-hmm. your body doesn't waste away. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's where the, that's where the trouble comes in because you have this big, uh, success up front where things are happening things. Oh yeah. Look at the scales going down. It's going down so fast. And then all of a sudden it just kind of stops moving. You're like, well, now I need help. Right. And, and that's the, that's, I think the really tough part is that, is that it works for a short period of time. And then, it, mm-hmm. and then if it never worked like off day one, then I think we would have less of this issue. Yeah, for sure. And it is working and you hit on the short term. So this isn't a long-term fix. You shouldn't be doing this for a month even and getting back to your metabolic set point. So what your body expends in a day if you're consuming the calories that match that, you're going to stay at your set point. And you need to get back to that kind of resting rate where your body can relax and you're not going to put on the pounds. So the hard part is convincing people to increase their calories again because they're scared. Now they're going to gain all the weight back. But it's not. You're just getting it back to your neutral kind of flatline point where you'll still stay where you're at Sometimes if people have been doing it so long, they actually continue to lose weight because then their body's like, oh, we get food now. We can relax. It's coming. We don't need to hold on to all our resources. And they can't believe that they increase their calories, but continued to lose weight. It's just kind of making your body feel comfortable and not putting that external stress on it all the time. Yeah, it is quite, quite amazing. And I think a lot of it too is people you start eating a little bit more. So you have a little bit more energy, you get back in the gym, you start to put a little bit of muscle on, and then that will help with fat loss as well. Cause now your metabolism is being ramped up. You have more, more muscle mass on your body to like, just feel better and look better. And, mm-hmm. and, and then the, the fat starts melting off that way. Yeah. Absolutely. I said melting off. I, I hate that. I can't believe I just said that. Disregard that, but it'll start, <laughs> it'll start, it'll start going away when you put a little bit of muscle back on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my dog's barking. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, okay. What's your dog's name? Lucy. All right. Lucy says hello, everybody. <laughs> she's, she's really cute. Um, I wanted yeah. to I wanted to ask you. Sorry. Go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, if you have high uh, protein and you're on a caloric deficit diet, you can still gain muscle. So making sure that your 
doing your macros and micros properly to support you if you are going through that caloric restrictive phase. It's that there is a way to still gain muscle. Yeah, you're not going to become a Mr. Olympia like that. <laughs> but but <laughs> no. but you can but you can still uh, you can still gain muscle especially for people who are uh, new and relatively new to to training or having been detrained for for a while like many of us I know that you know even myself uh, I'm in Florida now I haven't really weight trained consistently for the past whatever 6 to 8 months I've been back in the gym the past couple of days obviously I didn't gain muscle in 2 days but like my body is going to is going to change rapidly in this next few days just because it ha- it's been without it so without going mm-hmm. crazy uh, things will just change kind of quickly in 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 a, in a in a good way I think but I was going to get back to the supplements so we, we've mentioned it a couple of times are there certain supplements that you would recommend that nearly everyone takes just on a sort of like maintenance level all the time? Yeah. Um, there's some good fundamental ones. I almost never prescribe a multivitamin. So it's just kind of streamlining things to each person and reaching that therapeutic dose. So most multis are tested on people who are malnourished in kind of more of a third world country setting than us trying to optimize our health. And uh, it's not really doing that much for people. So the only situation where I'll kind of do a multi is more of a prenatal situation because they have usually a good balance of things that support um, that embryo growth and all that. Um, But for most people, a good fish oil. So a lot of people don't like the liquid form. They have flavored liquid liquid forms now, um, but they have larger capsules. So a great fish oil is good for that kind of mental health. It decreases inflammation in the system. Just a great well-rounded supplement. Um, A good probiotic. Probiotics are certain supplements like a vitamin C you can go cheaper on the brand, but for probiotic, you want to find a good probiotic. So this is important. You want to have one that you typically would have to store in the fridge because they're live bacteria that you want it to be in like the higher range. And also typically ones that are um, found in the human gut microbiome, not just ones that they can grow on kind of any milk source. So that's a huge one. And you can streamline it a little bit to each person if they have more digestive concerns or what they're going for there. So a good probiotic, omega-3, um, depending on people, B12 or uh, B-complex for energy, mood, stuff like that, because our soil doesn't have as much as it used to in it. And along with magnesium, end of the day, relaxing the muscles, uh, the most common form that I prescribe, because there's a number of different forms that you can kind of do it differently for each individual, but uh, magnesium bisglycinate is really great for that end of the day. I go with a gentle form so they don't have that loose stool, um, but it relaxes the muscles, gives them a deeper sleep. And yeah, most people are deficient in magnesium. And then the last one is vitamin D for Canada. Yeah. So almost all of us are deficient in that. Yeah, for sure. And and those are I think quite in line with with what's with, with what most people say anyways and, and mm-hmm. I would be surprised if anyone listening to this has like never heard of those things. Yeah. If if anything maybe someone might not know the difference between probiotics and prebiotics if you want to go okay. into that a little bit and then maybe how to actually find a good probiotic and, and maybe if there are brands that you feel comfortable recommending mm-hmm. go ahead and go ahead and let people know that as well. Yeah, so there, I'm not affiliated with any brands, first off. Um, the prebiotic is essentially the food for the probiotic. So if you don't need a prebiotic long-term, you kind of want to sustain with that probiotic. So the prebiotic feeds the probiotic. And then the probiotic is your healthy uh, bacteria in your gut. So if you've been on a high dose of antibiotics recently, it wipes away all bacteria in your gut, good or bad. So it there's no way to really target just the bad ones. They just wipe it all. And then that's the time that you really need to reset it with the probiotic, which gives you the healthy ones that you want in your gut. 
So 90% of your immune system and your happy hormones in your brain get produced in your gut. So the gut is so important and the bacteria in your gut help to break down certain foods and nutrients. So a probiotic that I really love is a brand by Genestra Brands. And they use an HMF, so it's a human, what's found in your gut. So it's human sources of probiotics, which is amazing. Um, one that I have been uh, prescribing a lot lately is the HMF Fitness, because they studied it specifically in, there was um, obese mice and then healthy fit mice. And they took the gut bacteria in the obese ones and the fit ones and switch them. And the body composition switched with um, the same kind of diet and stuff like that. So it shows that what is going on in your gut plays a huge role in systemic um, functions of the rest of your body. So I thought that was really cool. And when I'm telling people to kind of shift their diet a little bit, exercising more, um, it's an extra little push for them to switch to this probiotic. Yeah. Wow. That's, that sounds incredible. And I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it is, it does make a difference. I've taken probiotics uh, periodically here and there, um, probably should keep doing it, but, <laughs> but, uh, but it does certainly make a difference. And I didn't know about that study, but that's, that's quite fascinating. You'd think that that's not really possible, but I know, I mean, it is, I know it's so interesting, but they say to support with continue your exercise and everything else. But I just find that it gives people the extra push that it's like, okay, if I do this and this, it's double the benefits. Of course. I mean, yeah. one, one more time, and this won't be the last time ever, but you can't just take supplements and then uh, <laughs> eat pizza and cookies and, and, and then just be, you know, shredded and healthy and everything. It's, you, you got to do that. <laughs> you got to do the whole thing. Commit to all of it. Yep. Balance. Yeah. The, the, the gut brain kind of like connection and, and with everything is, is a fascinating, like kind of new ish field of research. One thing that I am always curious about in people's thoughts and opinions and research and whatnot is the the concept of time restricted eating and intermittent fasting and like longer fasts and there's there's many uses and benefits of them. One of which I've heard of many times is like resetting the gut biome and so give it a chance to like do its thing and and reset. But then on the other side, there's people like, well, you have a liver and a kidney, so if those are functioning, they're cleaning stuff out. What are your what are your thoughts on on these kind of concepts? Yeah, so the term kind of detox um, is kind of humorous to me because you're constantly <laughs> detoxing. If you go to the washroom, you just detoxed. If you're sweating, you're detoxing. So your liver, kidney, everything is constantly detoxing, resetting things, keeping everything balanced. Um, with the intermittent fasting, when you're not eating, your gut bacteria are kind of proliferating and able to expand throughout your intestines, digestive tract. So that's why if I prescribe a supplement, I want them a probiotic supplement, I want them to take it after the last meal of the day so that they have that time for the healthy bacteria to proliferate in the gut. Or there's certain ones that you don't have to take with food and just taking that right before bed. So it has that time. And for intermittent fasting, some people, it's a 12-hour window, which I just think that's a minimum for proper meal timing. So say your last meal's at 6, that's not eating until 6 a.m. That's plenty of time or 7 till 7. Um, so that intermittent fasting aspect allows the gut bacteria to proliferate. So specifically talking about that, Liver doesn't play that much of a role in your gut bacteria's growth. It helps detox a number of other things in your system. So they're similar, but also different. Um, it does turn on like your insulin response and stuff like that with the intermittent fasting is great. But I find that the people who need support with their insulin and balancing, that's their blood sugar levels, um, are typically the ones that wake in the night to snack. So kind of resetting that balance will help shift that as well, with just not eating at night and resting. Right. And I mean, that sounds so simple. Like even the 12-hour window is like, you know, don't eat after dinner and then eat at breakfast. Like that's going yeah. to be 12 hours pretty well right there. 
W- yeah. What about the longer fast people who do 24, 48 hours, 72, you know, what are five days, whatever. What about that? I haven't read research or know much about the five day ones. The 24 hour one is, has been great for some people. So again, that's kind of like the keto diet worked for me. So you should do it. This 24 hour fast worked for me. So you should do it. But if people are on medications that they need to take food with, they shouldn't be fasting 24 hours. If they have blood sugar dysregulation that they need to constantly be snacking and approaching that differently, they shouldn't be fasting for 24 hours. If you have low blood pressure, that can be an issue. So it's just kind of figuring out what works for each person. I know people who have done the 24 hour found an amazing reset. A lot of people do it differently. They'll have tea or water with lemon and count that as still part of the fast. So kind of researching on your own to see what this person did and then trying it shorter for shorter periods before doing a 24 hour. I don't think anyone should just go and fast the next day because they want a quick reset. So just making sure everything's a good fit for you first. For sure. And I mean, if you have, if you are someone who is taking medications or has some type of health condition, like definitely go see someone like, like Jackie to, you know, take care of this because it's not something that you should just jump into. Like I can speak from my own experience. Again, I don't, I don't take any medications. I don't have any health conditions, knock on wood, thankfully. Um, and, and I regularly, semi-regularly do a 24 hour fast and I just like the way it feels. It just feels good to me. I don't do it to try and lose weight. I don't do it to try and like punish myself after a cheat meal or anything like that. I just kind of, I just like the way it feels of not having food. I also like the intangible benefit of knowing that I can go without food for a little bit. I'm not going to panic. I know I'm not going to, I'm not going to die. I'm not starving to death by not eating for one day, right? We have Mm -hmm. plenty of food and plenty of access to food. So I personally like it for those reasons, but I think, I think trying to use it as a form of punishment can, can certainly be problematic punishment to yourself about trying to lose fat or trying to, you know, make up for a cheat meal. I think that that's just a slippery slope to go down for, for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that mindset that you have associated with it is so important because if you have the negative thought process associated with things, it puts you, your body into more of a stressed state, which won't help you achieve the same kind of goals. You have to kind of have that positive balanced outlook that food is coming at the end of this. This is just a little reset to kind of uplift things for now. And then you're getting back into eating your regular meals after it. Yeah. I'm so happy you said that because that's something that I kind of talk about quite often is like approaching things from a positive place Mm -hmm. instead of always thinking about losing weight or losing this or taking away this. Like, what are we, what are we adding? We're losing Mm -hmm. weight, but what are we adding? And if we kind of come at it from a, from a more positive angle, it, I think it helps a lot with motivation and just the ability to actually see something through and, and it always comes back to the context of weight loss because it's just the easiest example to use, but it can be with anything, any type of health condition as well. Like, yeah, you might have to take away carbs a little bit to do the ketogenic diet to heal or help some condition, but you are improving your health. So like, Mm -hmm. that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. The disease prevention, the feeling better, getting fitter. Um, And that's where the 20% drop off, as long as you're still positive with yourself and feel good and you enjoy get the enjoyment out of exercise and you're like, I'm doing this because it makes me feel good, then you'll want to do it more often. Right. For sure. And and I think that's super important with exercise and people punishing themselves with exercise. How do you try to communicate this with patients in this difference of exercise for, for performance or for feeling good and, and just kind of communicating the importance of physical exercise in, in a healthy lifestyle? Yeah, it can be very difficult with some patients, but I always approach it from meeting them where they're at. So what is your current exercise level? Do you exercise? Are you doing anything? And some people aren't. And they always feel guilty saying, oh, I'm I'm not doing anything. And I'm like, that's great. We're starting at zero, building it from the ground up. That's not negative. They're here to start. So I think walking is the most underrated form of exercise. Walking is amazing. Walk as much as you can. If you have the option to drive or it's kind of within that distance you could walk, walk. 
So um, meeting patients where they're at from the very fundamental level and making sure it's something that fits into their lifestyle. So if someone wants to gain muscle and optimize performance and they work full time and then they have kids at home and it's just kind of a recreational thing, I'm not going to tell them to exercise for five hours a day. That's not something that they can fit into their lifestyle. So when I'm goal setting for fitness, I'm working with each patient to say, what works for you? Do you have a gym nearby? What do you have at home? What are you doing right now? So answering those questions that fits into them and then streamlining it that way. When I'm working with elite athletes, it's obviously different. It's their full-time job. So we can put in two a days. We can work on the recovery balance and working their whole day around that exercise training phase and then the nutrition support around that and how many hours of sleep and their recovery cycles. So it's very different where people are at, but understanding that everyone's different and it's not a one-size-fits-all prescription for exercise. I had one patient that she told me she was going to the gym every day. And I was like, that's great. What are you doing when you get to the gym? And she was actually just walking to the gym. And that was her walk. So I was happy that I asked the second question. (laughs) But she was like, oh, I don't have a gym membership. I'm just seeing if I can fit it into my schedule. So it's like understanding that some people might not want to go to the gym or have it as part of their kind of toolkit as well. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing like I enjoy going to the gym and lifting weights and whatever, but there's nothing special about it. Like if her exercise is walking to the gym, maybe you want to play tennis, there's some other sport or activity that you dance, whatever it is, like it's all good. It gets some exercise in. You're not going to get, you're not going to get huge muscles by, by dancing, but you know, you'll still be healthy. And like the health and performance aspect is, is like the lines are so blurred. I find a lot of times where people think that they're the same, but they're just, they're really not. Like you mentioned about, you know, the pro athlete or an elite athlete, what they're doing is not necessarily the best for their health, but it's the best for their performance. And that's what is important to them at that point in their life. Yeah. And my nutrition support for an elite or professional athlete looks very, very different from one for someone preventing disease and just trying to live optimally. They are having those high sugary sport drinks because they need to get as much glucose in their muscles after because they've just been sweating for three hours and their muscles are just drained. Whereas if someone's just kind of doing something more light, I don't need to be giving them heavy sugar sports drinks and stuff like that. They can just still have their regular balanced meal at home. Yeah. Another, another groundbreaking thing that, you know, regular people (laughs) don't need to be slugging back Gatorades after, you know, your 30 minutes kind of half workout in the gym. It's, it's amazing. (laughs) I'll, I'll do the, I'll do the shit talking for you. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing a good job of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. I I don't, I don't mind it. I don't have a professional designation to, uh, to uphold or, (laughs) or anything like that. Professional shit talker. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, but, but it, I mean, it, it is important for people to take care of themselves and especially in these times and, and to seek help, right? I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of give you the chance to walk people through what it's like to see a naturopath. So someone makes an appointment with you. What is that process like? What can someone expect in that, in that appointment? Yeah, of course. Um, I do 15 minute discovery calls, so they're completely complimentary and that's before you even book an appointment. Um, it's just a chance for them to express their concerns, what they're looking to achieve and me to explain how I would approach the care and see if it's a good fit. Because like we alluded to at the beginning, each naturopath approaches things a little bit differently. I utilize a lot of nutrition and lab testing and lab work in my care just so that patients can see that, um, quantifiable kind of number or value as to why they're taking a certain supplement. It's because you are deficient in this, not just because I think this would be good for you to take. Um, So I have those 15 minute discovery calls, just get to know the patient, see if they even like me. If they don't feel comfortable 
talking to me about all their health concerns, then I may not be the naturopath for them. So I do those before you even book your initial appointment. My initial appointments right now are 90 minutes. So they're quite long. And that's because we go through your entire health history so that I know any past hospitalizations, um, surgeries, what your lab values look like now from your MD, I can review with them. And we go through their full health history, any medications, supplements. Um, I'll look at the lab work. So your MD typically looks at things in a very broad spectrum to diagnose disease and dysfunction. I look at it in a more narrow range for optimizing your health. So you could be at one side of the spectrum and still be feeling like crap, but it's not diagnostic for a condition, but you might be right on the edge. So I'm going to try to bring it right to the middle so that you actually feel your best. And symptoms come up without being outside of ranges as well. Um, so I can review that or order any additional testing that I may see fit. I'm someone that prefers to test and not kind of guess what's going on. So I uh, use my lab work and requisition forms quite often. Um, and then we go through a diet recall. So what you typically eat day to day, what your exercise looks like. So uh, how much are you exercising day to day? Sleep. Um, how are you sleeping? That plays a huge role in how people are feeling, mood, a number of different things. And then um, I'll talk about stress and energy levels so that we kind of cover everything. And at the end of that, they'll get if they need a nutrition plan, supplement recommendations, or that additional lab work ordered. Um, when I'm in person, I also do some acupuncture, some manual therapy. Um, I can do cupping and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I approach things. Each patient is different. No two patients get the same treatment plan. It's completely individualized and cross-referenced with all their medications, as we mentioned. Right. The, the, the comprehensiveness of that entire appointment is what I love so much about it because you know, and, and again, this is not to like shit on regular doctors, but they just don't have the, the time or the resources to like mm -hmm. to offer that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's because of the system and all these things, that's not their fault, but they don't, they can't do that. And so someone like you can do that. And so you can really get to know that person on, on a very personal level. And like you mentioned in your discovery call, like part of the reason of that is, do we like each other? Because if we don't, for whatever reason, they think, you know, they just don't like your name because it starts with a J or something silly, like then, then they're not gonna be able to trust you and listen to you as, as a healthcare practitioner. Right. And I think that's so important and something that's like very much missing from our healthcare system in terms of getting, getting buy-in from patients. Because as we know, like that's the biggest thing you can tell them all the perfect information. If they don't actually do it, because you can't be there to hold their hand, if they don't actually do it, it's not going to help them no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. And they have to trust and support me. So yeah, just seeing that it's a good fit. And MDs, your family physician, they're great at what they do, but they're limited in certain capacities as well. And it's just having your whole health team that supports you in all aspects of your health, because that's not to discredit any MDs. You need them. They're very important. I'll have some patients come in that'll just complain about the medical profession. And I'm not trying to polarize anyone. I think everyone has their place and everyone's so great at what they do. And you mentioned it at the beginning. We can't all be experts in everything and all things health because there's so much little details that goes into anything, everything, and that certain things may get overlooked if you just have one person trying to do it all. Yeah. I mean, a great practitioner would refer out when they need to, and, and mm -hmm. it would be a sign of a, of a poor practitioner to pretend that they can solve all the issues of the world, right? That would just be very, yeah. be very silly. So, and, and tell me if this has happened to you, but even in my experience, there's been people who it's like, I can't help you. I don't have the tools. I don't, I don't have the ability to like help you with X thing. So you need to go see this person. And, and while some people might have kind of a scarcity mindset around, Oh my God, I'm giving up a patient. I'm giving up a client. And it's like, it all comes back around because th that person is getting helped. And that's like the number mm -hmm. one thing that they're actually being helped. I can pretend to try and help them, but, but I'm not going to feel good on the inside. I'm still collecting their money, but who cares? I'm yeah. not feeling good and they're not getting helped. And then eventually, like in the long term, even if you want to stick to only financials, 
they're not going to keep coming back and they're not going to refer to their friends because you didn't help them. So mm-hmm. it, it, it makes sense and it's better for everyone to just, you know, pass the buck when it's time. Yes, absolutely. The last thing you want for anyone is them to feel as though they've slipped through the cracks because someone is just trying to do it all. That having their health team and referring where necessary and understanding that there's only so much and we're all limited to some capacity. Like I can't do imaging. If someone needs an ultrasound or x-ray, 100%, they should be going and getting that care. Whereas I can't tell them what's going on internally necessarily without utilizing that tool set. Right. Of course. Of course. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it seems obvious to say it, but it's it's hard to sometimes wrap your head around until it's like, until someone says it and it's like, oh yeah, of course. That seems so, so easy. Yeah. What's your favorite part about being a naturopath? You've been in it for, for a year now professionally practicing or, or, or roughly a year. What's your favorite part? Um, I love the variety with each patient and each patient I approach kind of like a puzzle and trying to solve kind of what's going on. There are the patients that are just looking to optimize everything and they don't have a specific condition that they want addressed, but I enjoy the diversity and being able to help and support each person. Um, that's what keeps it really interesting. And each day I wake up excited to help people. So I really enjoy that aspect. That's perfect. I, I love that. And I hope that that continues for you. I assume it will. I, I think it will because you seem so happy about it. And I remember like when you kind of made that decision and I remember you telling me like, oh, I, I actually like I'm going to go to naturopathic school. And I was like, wow, but like you seem really excited about it. And so I'm so happy that like however many years now it's been since since that time that it all kind of like worked out and you are like super happy doing it and, and and things are working out great for you. Yeah, thank you so much. What's what's coming next for you? What do you have coming down the pipeline? Any, I know you said you're starting a new clinic in a couple of weeks. Anything else uh, on the agenda? Um, so starting in that new clinic, I'm going to be doing my prescribing exams and, um, IV ones so that in the future I can do like B12 injections and IV therapy. So the nutrient IV aspect for, it's great for people who have digestive issues that they can't absorb the nutrients and need it kind of fast track. So that's kind of coming up a little bit of a change. And I've been doing a lot of sports performance programs for um, elite and professional athletes. So I'm going to be offering um, kind of like a course style uh, sports nutrition program uh, based on all my experience with those specific athletes so that someone else can just kind of do it on their own and follow along with the steps and optimize their performance kind of at home on their own. That's exciting. Yeah. When, when are you projecting to be ready with that stuff? Hopefully in the next month. So I've got the courses done. It's just kind of fine tuning everything. So hopefully by the end of the month. Amazing. Well, I'll be looking forward to it and I'll be sure to shout it out as, as much as I can when time is ready for you. I want to, I want to, of course, I want to end on sort of maybe a big question. Not that big. Don't get scared. Okay. But what's, what's, where what's the future of naturopathic medicine where do we go from here what are what are the next five to ten years look like and how does this kind of integrate into or or continue to integrate more into our current health system i think that i've already kind of started to see the shift of more integrated clinics so not just a naturopathic practice where it's just people looking for the naturopathic doctor that they've already seen when they already know what we go through is seeing that within the clinic system. So the one that I'm starting at has a walk-in clinic and the physiotherapy, everything in one place so that you have your whole health team together. So I hope in the next few years, it kind of shifts that everyone has their team, their dermatologist, their dentist, that everyone is together and We're all internally referring, working together to ensure that nothing gets missed for a patient and they get the whole kind of integrated approach to care. And I think that's really where all our professions will be optimized and the patient's health will be optimized. And that would just be the goal, hopefully for all professions as well. I totally agree. I love that. And I hope it happens it's it's happening and I hope it just continues to happen like mm-hmm. at a more rapid pace because like you just mentioned at the end there, everyone wins that way. 
the patients, yeah. the practitioners, the whole system, everything. It benefits everyone if that happens. Mm-hmm. I want to give you a chance to just let people know where they can reach you with the clinics, the uh, information. I'll put it all in the show notes as well, but where can people contact you? Yeah. Um, I have my Instagram is doctor. So dr.jackie.nd. And um, I have fusion. It's um, at the website is www.myfzn.com. Um, and then the clinics that I'm at is Momentum Sports Med and Wellness. That's at Bay and Girard in downtown Toronto. The other one is Foundation Physiotherapy and Wellness, which is Front and Spadina downtown. And then the one that I'm adding in in a couple of weeks is Health One, which is in the path. So it's near uh, Scotiabank Arena in York One. And that's the one that has the walk-in clinic, the dentist, everything all in one place. Amazing. So wherever you are in Toronto, you can find Jackie for sure. <laughs> and, and, and if you're not in Toronto, then you know, reach out to Jackie and ask her maybe how you can connect with a naturopath somewhere else in Canada or maybe somewhere else in, in the States or in the world as how to maybe find someone or, but you know, if you, if you've got something that you need help with, definitely don't, don't uh, hesitate to reach out to your, to your local naturopath for sure. Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to leave the people with here, Jackie, before we close? Um, congrats on hitting a thousand followers the last <laughs> couple of days on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And okay. anything for the people or just, or just, or just pumping my tires? <laughs> um, for the people. Yeah. Just to summarize, kind of find your team, get an integrative care team to support you so that you can hit on all aspects. 80-20 rule, forgive yourself, be easy on yourself and just move, move naturally, move every day. And that's it. I love it. That's wonderful. Jackie, thank you so much for your time. I, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Of course. We'll, we'll chat soon for sure. Okay. Bye-bye everybody. Thank you so much to Jackie for taking the time out of her busy day to sit down and have a chat with me. It was amazing to catch up and reconnect, especially seeing that she's doing so well and really loving what she's doing after those years ago, those conversations that we had about our futures and what was next and making decisions that seemed big and scary at the time. And it's nice to see that it all worked out. She's an amazing person. She did a really great job at breaking down some quite concept, quite complex concepts into very simple terms that everyone can understand and relate and use in their own life. And she did a great job of being very rational about everything, about explaining what the naturopathic profession is and where it's going, what are some of the misconceptions, how can we all work together, and by we I mean healthcare practitioners, to give patients, to give you the best care possible. And this doesn't mean you know only when you're sick, it just means in all the time, right? How can we just take care of our health better by working together? And really that's what it's all about. It was a lot of fun. This might be an episode that you maybe want to listen back to, pause and take a couple notes on a couple things. If you want to reach out to Jackie, you can find her on Instagram at drdr.jackie.nd on Instagram or her website, myfusion.com, myfzn.com. I'll link those in the show notes as well and also include links and contact info for the clinics that she treats out of in Toronto. If you're not in Toronto and you're seeking naturopathic care or have questions about naturopathic care, feel free to reach out to Jackie and she can certainly help you no matter where you are in the world. And that's that. It was a a real pleasure. I'm so happy that uh, we got to do this and I think that's it. Uh, I talked a little shit in this episode and I'll probably just stop blabbing now and and enough shit talking for me. Um, while you're at it, getting in contact with Jackie, make sure you're following me on Instagram as well at Daniel Yoris. Um, like, and subscribe to the podcast, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast, leave a rating and review on iTunes goes a really long way in spreading the show, spreading naturopathic care, spreading the good information. And that's it. I hope you have a great day and we'll chat soon. Bye-bye.